You're listening to More Than Potential, the podcast. On this show, we talk about mental health, well-being, and self-improvement from a Gen Z perspective. I'm your host, Faith. So I hope you guys are having a great day. Um, I am feeling notably better. Um, I think <laughs> the the last few episodes, I have been in a mood, y'all. Like I have been so pressed all the time. I've been anxious and worried and all the stuff that's been going on politically is just really kind of ruining the vibe of 2021. But it's all good. Business is going well. I'm closing deals. Ain't nothing like closing a $2,000 client to make you feel good about yourself. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But anyway, so life is not so bad, but there have been some really difficult moments. Um, Just more recently, I had a moment where I was just like, is what I'm doing actually for me? You know, because there's there's occasionally, very, very, very occasionally, where there's moments where I'm just like, I can't believe that I'm actually doing this. You know, I was talking to a friend and this girl was telling me that she is just so surprised that I do the sort of work that I do, which I can't be mad because she's not wrong. You know, I manage social media accounts and run marketing campaigns online. I'm a social media marketer. I went from having no online presence to speak of and no Instagram to having a professional Instagram and having thousands of people follow me on TikTok. I have 10K followers on TikTok and I got that in a month. That's nuts. So, you know, I'm just, I've just been vibing really. Um, And of course I have a private Facebook group of 600 people once again, in just one month of dedicated working and persistence. And yeah, I'm getting clients, you know, and I haven't really been a social media manager that long. So I think that pivoting my business towards this profession has been very beneficial for me. And it's just been a good time. Like I have no regrets. I really don't. Um, But even despite all of the success that I've had in a very, very, very short period of time, I still feel like on occasion things are very difficult and I it's not that I want to quit because I really don't want to quit. I just there's moments where like occasionally where my my emotions get the best of me and I'm like is this for me? Like am I sure? You know? And I think that's perfectly normal to have occasional doubts about if you're doing the right thing or you know, if you're crazy cuz sometimes I do feel like I'm crazy to do the things that I do, but I, I feel like I'm on this path towards something really good, you know? And I don't know if you've ever felt that way where you just feel like the path that you're on is not the path that you should deviate from and that eventually you're going to run smack dab into what you were supposed to be doing the whole time. And that's the way I feel. I feel like I'm getting warmer and warmer to the type of lifestyle, the type of income, the type of job that I really want. So there's that. But... Also, something has happened. Um, It turns out I am moving to South Korea, most likely. Most, most likely. Um, Part of the reason why I told you guys in the first few episodes that I was going to move and then I changed my mind was because I found out that I got into this uh, Korean program. Uh, It's a teaching program in South Korea, and I think I want to do it. I think I want to do it, guys. So I'm just trying to uh, figure out my life and how I'm going to make this happen, like financially. So yeah, I'm just working my tail off and making as much money as I possibly can because I'm trying to build a life for myself and I don't really see my future in the United States. Like I can only think of living in Bali or somewhere super cheap. Like, you know, like I I do legitimately feel as though my life moving forward is going to be very, very entertaining and very interesting and very intriguing. Like I just, I know in my gut that the next 30 years of my life are going to be a crazy ride. But anyway, so I'm preparing for that and getting my documents together, getting a passport for the first time. I can't believe that a year ago I had never flown on a plane and now I'm like going to leave the country. I had never lived outside of the Southern corner of the United States, not the Southeast. And now I'm like literally going to fly across the world and I've never even traveled abroad before. So it's a big deal. Honestly, it is. It's a big decision to make during a pandemic, but 
root for me, please. <laughs> so before I get into the topic for today, if you are a fan of this podcast and you really love what I do, if you want to support me, then definitely like this podcast and go share it to your friends and family and review it. That would be so helpful for me. Um, it means a lot when people review your podcasts and it helps other people get a chance to listen. So that would mean the world to me. Now let's get to business. The topic for today, I'm not going to lie, guys. I wanted to skip over this topic because I feel like I'm about to expose myself. But, you know, as this is a podcast on mental health and well-being, I feel like it's only appropriate to tell the truth about myself and about my mental health and the things that I've struggled with in the past. It's time to talk about me and how I am a toxic friend. I know, I know. I'm I'm just going to have to I'm just going to have to talk about it because I do feel as though I have some toxic tendencies and part of being an adult is at least coming to terms with it. You know, you can say a lot about me, but one thing you can't say is that I'm not um, (laughs) self-aware. I do believe that I am more self-aware than the average bear, as I like to say. I would like to start out this by saying that I didn't know that I was toxic for most of my life. Um, How do I phrase this? I think that there was a part of my personality that I put on for people and it was a defense mechanism. And I wasn't fully aware of the toxic nature of this behavior until I was much, much older. And then I began to see why what I was doing was not a good idea. It was not helping me. It was actually hurting me in life. Um, I do feel like part of my problem when I was younger was that You know, and I guess I don't really talk a lot about this, but I did get bullied in school and it wasn't just in school. It was also out of school. I was never considered popular. I was never considered like pretty or one of the cool people. I was pretty much always by myself, always reading books. And that was my escape. Reading books, that was what I did to get by. I believe that what I used to do, if and hopefully this makes sense to y'all, is I would be so distanced from like reality that I would do this thing. It's called like maladaptive daydreaming, basically. I would literally just sit there for hours at a time and my mind would just go blank. And I could just kind of go into this other place where no one could really bother me. And some people would say it's disassociating, but that's not true. It's not the same as disassociating. It's like a, it's, it's not like my mind was blank. It was more of, how do I say this? It was more like I was someone else in a different place, doing something different. And I don't know how to describe this to y'all. I really don't, but you know, Part of my escapism was reading books and I used to love like fiction books and I used to read at least one novel a week. I could get through multiple, if I'm being honest. It was nothing for me to just go through multiple, you know, fiction books, thick books might I had in a week. Um, That's all I did, actually. And it was a way for me to escape from my problems, you know. I because of like all of the issues that I was having with making friends, I actually didn't really get good social skills until much, much later in life. And I don't know. I've, I think I've just always had problems making friends because even when I was younger and I was a lot less insecure at that age, I do remember, you know, feeling this existential loneliness. And I know what it is now, but at the time I didn't. So I feel like I've always kind of wrestled with like depression and this loneliness that I felt perpetually. And as a young person, I just thought maybe I just needed a friend. So I remember when I was younger, maybe when I was like five or six years old, I was in kindergarten and I told my mom that I didn't have friends. I didn't feel like I fit in with the other kids. And so, you know, my mom was like super religious. And so she told me to pray and I would pray that I would get friends and pray that, you know, God would send me someone that wanted to be my friend. 
And that is a wild concept to think about now because as an adult, I realized that that's so problematic. Like, I don't know what my mom must have been thinking at the time to, to see that her child has to pray to God to get a friend, to feel like they have friends in the world. I was five or six asking these sorts of questions and, you know, trying to figure out why I couldn't make friends or why I was constantly alone all the time. So um, that's kind of like where things started. And I think it was a traumatic experience for me at that age to finally make a friend. It was a boy who lived in my apartment complex at the time. And he would always knock on the door to come play with me. And we would play with each other, you know, just typical kid stuff. Eventually, though, there were some boys that moved into the neighborhood a few doors down from us. And so the boy that was my friend became their friend. He just ditched me. He ditched me. At least that's what I remember. And so I remember, you know, my parents and I, we were going to move. And I wanted to tell my friend, his name was Max. I wanted to tell Max that, hey, um... I'm going to be moving. Like, you're not going to see me anymore. But, you know, we had that conversation. But I think I remember the other boys. It was like two boys. They were brothers. Came along and he wanted to go play with them. And I was really upset. I was. I was upset because I felt like he was ditching me. Like, I was literally trying to tell him, hey, I'm not going to be in the apartment complex anymore. I'm moving. I'm not even going to be in the school anymore. Like, I'm gone. And I didn't even get that real closure. So I do remember being very upset about this, but there was nothing I could do. I think I did say something to him about it, but I don't remember what I, I couldn't tell you now what I said. I was five. But that memory, even though I can't actually remember the details, I remember the feeling. And the feeling I felt was I felt rejected. I also felt very angry. I was angry that, these other boys took my only friend from me. And now I had to move to a completely different school where I got bullied by this boy. Not the same boy, completely different boy. This black boy, um, when I was in first grade, used to bully me or whatever. And so I just constantly remember getting shit on when I was a kid. Like, even when um, I was in fifth grade at a completely different elementary school, I had one friend, he was a boy, and we got along okay, I guess. But by this point, I do remember being quite precocious at the time. And I think it's just, I'm not sure why. I've always had more of a personality, I guess. But I I think truly and honestly, how do I say? Because I I don't know if I want to get too deep into this part yet. But long story short, I do remember having a bit of a personality. I was a little little bit strong-willed, I will admit. I was a little bit tough to handle. (laughs) But um. I had one boyfriend and one girlfriend and the girlfriend ditched me and the guy to go play with her girlfriends. Like there was this new girl that moved to the school or whatever. And she was like super popular and pretty and all the boys and girls liked her. And I was kind of pressed because I was like, okay, but why are you ditching me? And and I think the boy's name was David. I was like, why are you ditching me and David to go hang out with that bitch? I don't understand. So I was pressed about that. I was very pressed about that because I feel like she just ditched us, honestly. Um, So I think part of my anger issues came from that. Um, And then fourth, I think it was, was it fifth to sixth? No, it was fourth to fifth grade. Oh, I remember this. Fourth to fifth grade. I will never forget. So when you're a kid, one of the worst things that you can possibly imagine is like getting stood up on your birthday. But that's exactly what happened. So I remember when I was in fourth grade and it was my birthday's in June. So it was during the summer before fifth grade. And I had a birthday party. My mom was planning this birthday party with a huge sheet cake. And I wanted to go ice skating for my birthday. So my mom paid for this plan for a bunch of kids to go ice skating. And she, you know, set up the whole thing, right? It was going to be a big deal. And she invited a lot of people from my, my, my mom's church and from my classes, but only three people came out of like 20 something. And all three were from my mom's church. No, none of the kids from school came. And most of the kids from my mom's church didn't come. It was like my cousin and then two other people, I think. And so my mom was pissed. Like she bought this huge sheet cake from Publix, which for those of you who don't know, is like a grocery store that has really good, a really good bakery and delicatessen. And so 
she bought this sheet cake from Publix and everything. And she was so prepared and I was so excited. And I remember my mom being so pressed about this. And it was like, because my mom has such an emotional reaction, I didn't feel like I could have an emotional reaction. I had to feel like I was okay with what happened. And I just kind of tried not to have a reaction and kept it pushing. But deep down, I still remember the feeling. I remember the feeling of being so unwanted. And it was like a huge rejection, essentially, was basically saying, yeah, bitch, you're not popular. Nobody likes you. You know, you're not important. Nobody wants you around. Like, why would we go to your birthday party? What is there to celebrate? That's how I felt. So even at like fourth grade or so, I just remember being like, oh, wow. Okay. So that was pretty much that. Um, And I think at that point, things just like took a turn for the worse. Like by the time I got to fifth grade and I experienced that same situation again, or something similar to the point where I had a friend and then she ditched us for somebody else. I kind of got the point that I just was not the person that people wanted to be around or hang around. And I was just going to have to live with that. And that's when I think psychologically something changed for me because I remember being like, I don't think it matters because I had spent my whole life getting bullied, getting picked on at that point, constantly feeling like I never had a friend and I would get one friend and the friend would leave or I would move to a different school typically moving to a different school and I'd have to start this whole the same process all over again. And so at that point, I just kind of like, and this is something that I don't think was conscious, but I think it was subconscious. I remember feeling like it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. No one's going to like me. No one likes me. No one wants to be my friend. So why bother? Why pretend like I, I, I why even try to make people want to be friends with me? And so that's when things took for the work, took, went to the, you know, took a turn, I would say. And I think, you know, that sort of like rejection became part of like my personality almost. Like I just anticipated that people would reject me. And so therefore it happened. Like when I was in middle school, I did not have friends at all. Um, honestly, I used to get picked on when I was on the bus every day. I used to hate riding the bus going home because the kids were like, how do I describe this? Like my middle school... And other middle school kids were on the same bus. So it was middle school kids from two or three different schools, but we had to ride the same bus to go home because we were all in the same neighborhood. And so I remember the kids who were in the the, the, the neighborhoods around mine did not like me and they would throw stuff at me and they would make fun of me. And around this time, around sixth and seventh grade, I did have one or two pimples. And so I remember, I, I can literally remember them laughing and snickering and making fun of me for having a pimple, which you would probably get at that point, at least around that age. So yeah, like I just remember, you know, certain things happening. Like I remember this um, one boy, I didn't like him or anything, but I don't think I was in seventh grade. He came up to me when I was walking to the bus and he was like, hey, you know, I want to talk to you about something. And I said, okay, what? And he said, I think I, you know, I want to, I like you or something. He said something to the effect of like, he, he liked me or wanted to date me. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't have a reaction, but internally I was like, oh my gosh, a boy likes me? What? What? I was like shook. Honestly, I didn't really have a statement prepared. So I was really thinking about what I was going to say. So I got on the bus and sat down. And of course I was sitting by myself because nobody wanted to sit next to me. And then him and a group of boys were just like, psych, LOL, like you're ugly, blah, blah, blah. We don't want to date you. Oh, blah, like you think I would date you, blah, blah, blah. Things like that. So, of course, like that happens to a lot of people, but I think I did internalize that because it happened several times and it made me think, okay, well, good to know. Y'all don't like me. Y'all don't want to be around me. Cool. And I think that sort of mindset kind of stuck with me for most of my life. Like, and granted, I'm only talking about stuff that happened at school. Like, I'm not even talking about the way people used to talk to me and treat me when I was like at my mom's church. That is a completely separate conversation because a lot of the stuff that people used to say and do to me, it wasn't even, it wasn't, it most of the time had nothing to do with me, but had everything to do with the fact that one, I was like the kid of a deacon or a deaconess in the church and deacons have like a position of power or something. And people didn't like my mom. So they came for me and they would say things and do things to me. And my mom would be upset because she would know where it came from. But I mean, you know, when somebody's somebody's mama is talking crap about you when you're 12, what can you say? 
What can you say to that? You know? So I remember being like so confused and hurt because no matter where I turned, people were always talking shit. It didn't matter. You know, and so I think I developed like this defense mechanism to where you can't say anything to me. And I think even now I'm kind of like that, like people are always curious as to why I seem so confident, but y'all don't understand. I have severe social anxiety for most of my life. I have like, I would say it wasn't until maybe my junior year of college where I started going to get like more counseling that I felt like I could actually function socially because I couldn't, like I had crippling depression and anxiety And on top of the fact that, like, I just never knew how to make friends. And I felt like no matter where I went or where I turned, somebody was talking shit. And granted, you know, like I mentioned before, when you have this, like, mentality that you're going to get rejected, it's going to make it more likely to happen. And so I don't know if this is going to make sense to y'all, but I think the the way I used to do this, I guess subconsciously, what would end up happening is I would act and behave in ways that would make people reject me. So that way I could have a reason because if I really wanted to be their friend and worked super hard to get them to like me and it didn't work, then I wouldn't have a reason, right? You know, because for the first half of my life, I didn't know why people didn't like me or why no one wanted to be my friend or why like my parents are so strict and I could never go to birthday parties or never do anything. You know what I'm saying? Um, So I just remember at the time feeling like, and like I said, this is all subconscious where I'm just like, well, people don't like me no matter what I do or say, I can try to be nice. I can, you know, you know, suck up to them and it's not going to work. I can go to a completely different school and somebody will just find me to pick on me. You know, the, the, the popular kids would just pick me out in a crowd and bully me, pick me out and say, okay, that's the kid that we're going to make fun of the whole semester or the whole year. And I was new to the school. (laughs) Nobody knew me, you know? So, um, yeah. And I think by the time I got to middle school and high school, I just already developed like this personality around being rejected and feeling like nobody liked me. So why be likable and why try to make people like me when there's no point? They're going to hate me anyway. And I guess like the most tragic part about this is that I wasn't entirely wrong Um, I think because I acted and behaved in ways that would make people unlike me, it kind of gave me at least psychologically a reason as to why people were not trying to be friends with me or why people didn't like me. And then I could anticipate the rejection and then say, well, I don't care what you think. I am what I am and you're just going to have to deal. And it was a good defense mechanism, honestly, because then, you know, I not only did did I know and could predict that someone rejects me, but I would also know the reason why. And then it makes me seem very tough. You know, I'm not just going to be the kid who gets bullied all the time or who gets ignored or, you know, the kid that, you know, people don't pick to play with or work in a group project with. You know, now I'm just a bitch. I'm just someone who doesn't really care. And I think I carried that with me for a while because why not? You know, like what, what would be the incentive for me to constantly be somebody's like, footstool to get stepped on whenever, you know, they felt like stepping on someone. And it's really interesting. I don't think the people in my life know any of this because I don't talk about it. I don't see the point. But um, yeah, I think it's very interesting that so many people see me as like this super confident, brave person who's like, you know, whatever, who just doesn't take no shit, blah, blah. But that really is a defense mechanism. I don't think people understand that I didn't always used to be this way, you know, I'm a very soft-hearted person, but when someone gets mistreated for so long, they just kind of, it can, it can, it can, not in every case, but it can make you into a different person. And and of course, add on top of that, the fact that like my family dynamic was so dysfunctional. Oh my God, it was just so dysfunctional. I think that it can, that sort of trauma can alter your personality a bit. Um, So the reason why I'm saying all of this is because it's important to understand like where all of this comes from. And I didn't want to just give you guys a surface response, a surface level response as to why I was a toxic friend. I'm telling you why I was toxic because I had toxic experiences and I came from a toxic family and I didn't know how to deal or how to cope. And what sucks is the fact that I don't know a lot of people who have my experience. 
you know, a lot of the people that I know come from solidly middle-class families where their parents are both married. And even if they're divorced, they're, they're, they seem sane. And, you know, it wasn't until I was in college for a while that I realized that the things that I had normalized in my life weren't normal. Like, it's not normal to have your parents argue and fight and never show affection towards each other. That's not the norm. It's one thing to, you know, have parents who may not be in love with each other, but it's a completely different thing for your parents to be outwardly antagonistic towards each other. No love shown. I can't remember the last time my parents had hugged or kissed each other. I, I really can't tell you. Because besides the fact my dad is dead, um, when they were still married, they there was like no love lost. It was very much, they were enemies almost in the same house. Um, so I've never really seen what it's like for a man to love a woman because I can't really speak to that. But that's a different, a different episode. But beyond that, I just, even in my, even in my parents' home, there was just a lack of love and vulnerability and tenderness. And so I kind of spent most of my life never really feeling that from people. I never really felt like I was loved or wanted by anybody. I always kind of felt like I was in the way. I was a nuisance. I was a bother. Um, at best, I was someone that could be used for a purpose. So I found myself constantly being forced to do things that I didn't want to do. And I didn't really have a say because my mom wanted me to do it. And because that's the only way I could be accepted is if I did favors for people. And that's what happened. The only time I felt ever accepted or appreciated by anyone was when I was at church and my mom would force me to do tasks and um, favors for the pastors because that's what I did. You know, I was just, it's, it's weird. I was not a PK, but for all intents and purposes, I might as well have been because the amount of time I spent at church doesn't make sense. Like I spent half of my young life in a church pew. And, you know, and granted it's because my mom was so devoted and so dogmatic in her thinking. Like the only thing she really cared about was church. And as a result, the only thing I ever got a chance to care about was church. I just feel like more broadly, I never really got any acceptance anywhere other than at church. But it was fake acceptance. It wasn't real. It was conditional based on how I performed and how I acted and behaved. And if it's, as long as I pretended I was perfect, everything was good. And so a lot of the other kids hated me for that. But to be honest, these were the same kids that were bullying me and isolating me and never inviting me to sleepovers. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, these were the same people who went out their way to talk crap about me when I did nothing to them. Most of the time, I was just minding my business. Like, literally, I was really just minding my business 90% of the time. But... You know, they would start beef or try to start fights with me or try to start arguments with me or whatever just because they could. And their parents would were no better. Honestly, some of the parents were really petty towards my mom. So really, it just kind of put me in a situation where I was constantly being antagonized all the time. And I'm not saying I'm a victim. I'm not saying that, you know, I didn't do things or whatever. I'm just being I'm just being honest. Like there was no love lost for me. There was never a situation where I felt like someone actually wanted to be friends with me or wanted me around. And the one friend I did get when I was in high school, um, she she became friends with people who actively hated me for reasons that they knew were not valid. Like the girls openly admitted that they just hated me just because it was fun and they were just talking crap about me, even though I never did anything to them, like never did anything to them. And that their mom had a problem with me. Their mom, their grown ass 50 year old mom didn't like a 14 year old. And I was sitting here like, so y'all openly telling me right now that y'all hated me, my guts and made my life miserable for no reason other than it was fun. And my quote unquote friend at the time, you know, she, she let them like, she would hang out with them because it was fun for her and they went to the same school. And so it put me in a weird position. And I remember telling her, I said, well, I don't like this. Like, I don't like that you're friends with them. And she made it seem like I was telling her what to do. But realistically, I'm like, you're supposed to be my friend. Like, why would you hang out with people who hate me? You know? So I think like those sorts of situations, like I said, like, what would you do in that scenario? Would you be friends with someone? Would you feel wanted? Would you feel cared for if someone did that to you? You wouldn't, honestly. So my toxic traits, what ended up happening was that a lot of the toxic traits I had were 
basically defense mechanisms I built up over years and years and years of this. Um, and I'm not even going to get into the family stuff too deep because it, that's just a whole separate, it's a whole separate episode, y'all. That really is. And I think when I talk about the family episode, some of that, that will really click, it'll click for you as to why I'm saying some of this. But essentially, uh, yeah, I had like the toxic traits of not really listening to people. Like it got to the point where I kind of just tuned people out. That's a bit problematic because you want your friend to listen to your problems. But sometimes, I'm not going to lie, I just tuned them out. I wasn't even interested, largely because I didn't think they cared about me. And that might have been a projection, you know, because I was very secretive. I wouldn't really open up to people and I wouldn't really show them my real personality because I felt like I was constantly under attack from people, honestly. But yeah, um, you know, the secretiveness and the not really listening to people, not really seeing their side. Um, I think I definitely was someone who was highly sensitive. And I don't think that's a bad thing now, but I think it can be a bad thing because the way I interpreted that and my actions from that sensitivity weren't necessarily warranted. So for example, there was one person I was friends with and we were cool for a while, but you know, and granted, I actually may have a point with about this, but that person, we were cool for years, but I felt like once we got to college, maybe the senior year of college, I felt like since we didn't go to different schools and I never heard from this person that they didn't actually care about me. You know, I'm gonna be honest, like, you know, I didn't anticipate that person talking to me every single day or every single week, but it would, it would be like, I would text them. I would be the one always texting them to check in on them. And they would take almost a month to respond. And at that point, I'm like, no one's that busy. Like this person was in nursing school. So I understand you're busy. But to be fair, I had an internship at a part-time job on top of doing undergraduate research and being a resident assistant and going to school full-time. What do you mean you're busier than me? I'm balancing everything I possibly can while also having depression and a boyfriend. And guess what? I'm still finding time to talk to you. But I never got that same respect. And that's just the truth. And so, you know, I felt like, you know, because of my sensitivity, instead of just dealing with the problem and I didn't know how to approach the problem, I just like let it sit and then never talk to the person again. Like it got to the point where I got so pressed, especially during the pandemic, because like I said, this has been years and years of built up annoyance with this person because I always felt like, they were constantly putting me on the back burner for everybody else, like everybody else, Every, like everybody else. And then it got to the point where during the pandemic, when I was really going through stuff and I wasn't talking to the person to vent to them, but more like I just wanted to check in with them because I was genuinely concerned. I hadn't heard from them and they were in the nursing field and I didn't get a response until a month later. And that's when I was like, you know what? Why am I even friends with you? Like, what have you contributed to my life of value in the past year? Nothing. You don't even hardly respond to my text messages. So I believe this is a toxic trait, but my hypersensitivity and overreactions can be a problem. And so I overreacted in this case by just not texting the person back. When they did text me back and they're like, yeah, I'm fine. I just never said anything because at that point I felt like I had been breadcrumbed for years. You know, I've been breadcrumbed for at least a year and a half to two years, you know, and that's just how I felt. So, yeah, um, the hypersensitivity is a thing. That's not the first time or the only time I've ever overreacted to something. But typically, I will say whenever I've overreacted, it's also because of all the other stuff that happened before that point. Like one girl, I went off on her because she didn't give me a ride to Walmart which sounds really crazy, but there was so much that played into it before that point that I was like fed up. Like I was fed up with this girl. And this, this happened when we were in college because ultimately this person I felt like was toxic. Like they were always talking crap about everybody, including people in our own friend circle. And I was constantly defending our other friends to her. Um, this person was always throwing shade, always talking shit. And she was always throwing shade to me specifically in my face which only let me know that she was probably talking hella shit behind my back. And I didn't appreciate it. Like, it didn't feel like a joke to me. It felt like you're actually trying to be mean to me. But she would never say it 
you know, she would never say it with her whole chest and just be like, I don't fuck with you. She would just, you know, make, she would just say stuff. And it got to the point where she, I think what really pissed me off was when she started talking about a friend, a mutual friend of ours, that was actually a really nice girl. And she didn't deserve that. Um, and this person, there's a lot of stuff that happened, but long story short, I just felt like the person wasn't really a real friend to anybody, not to me, not to anyone in the friend group. And she was also very, very selfish. Like there were plenty of times where she would invite me over to her apartment and she would make me sleep with her roommate. And I was confused. I'm like, I can sleep on the couch, but she would invite me over and then dip. I would walk in the middle of the night to her apartment because she wanted me to come over and then would not make any sort of accommodations for me. And it was embarrassing. I'm like, girl, girl, like, why are you shoving me off on your roommates? Didn't make sense to me. And she would, of course, inconvenience her roommates doing this. And it just made me uncomfortable going to her apartment because I knew that, like, she just wanted to not feel alone. So she would just invite anybody. And chances are I was the last person on the list that she wanted to hang out with. Long story short. Eventually, it all culminated into this argument because I had asked her to help me. I had moved to a new dorm. And when I moved, I didn't have any food in my apartment. So I was like, I need to go to the grocery store, pick up at least a few groceries or something. And I couldn't walk. I couldn't take, you know, a bus. The bus didn't run that day. So I was like, you know, I just need like a ride to go get some, a few groceries, honestly. And I asked her and she said that, no, she couldn't do it. And I was like, okay, that's cool, whatever. Didn't think anything of it until I saw on her Snapchat that she actually was in the city. She told me that she couldn't do it because she was traveling and she wasn't in the city. She was doing all these other things. But then I see her on Snapchat and she was in the city. She was very much available to do it. She decided not to help. And that's what I didn't understand because up until that point, there had been so many times where <laughs> other people had helped her, even at their own inconvenience. And I was like, really? You have a car finally and you can't actually help a friend of yours and take them to the grocery store? Like, I'm not talking about nowhere crazy. Literally five minutes away. You can't take them to the grocery store to get groceries, to eat food. Are you kidding me? And then... Um, what really kind of pissed me off, and that's the, what really escalated the situation when I confronted her about it in the group chat, by the way, which was not smart, was the fact that ultimately the person said to me, well, if you're that broke, you just need to go to the canned food drive on campus. And that's when I literally lost it. Because I was like, first of all, that is a low blow. And second of all, fuck you. Like, really? You call yourself my friend and if you didn't want to do it, then just say you don't want to do it. You don't have to make up a reason and lie. Like, I was really mad at the lie. I'm like, why did you lie? If you don't want to do it, then just say you don't. But it's the fact that she hit me with that that let me know that she wasn't a real friend. And to me, I lost. I went ape shit. I'm not going to lie. I was ranting and raving. And I straight up told the people that she was friends with. I'm like, if you're friends with this girl, don't talk to me. Seriously, don't talk to me. Because you're part of the problem. And I was right. Time showed I was right. Eventually, my, a mutual friend of ours realized that she was friends with a raving bitch. And she stopped talking to her, too. But ultimately, I was two to, to three years ahead of the situation. Um, so, and, you know, in that situation, I did overreact. I did to the situation. But it was, it was pent up. Years of pent worth, pent up stuff that I was upset about and I never discussed and that is a toxic trait. Like when you have all of these problems with someone and you don't ever talk to them about it, it's a problem. It's, it's, it becomes you being resentful of the person. And, you know, there's no real justification for this other than I have a hard time expressing my emotions. And I also don't really know how to confront someone when I have serious emotional stake in the game. It's easy for me to confront someone over something stupid. It's much more difficult for me to confront someone when... I have a real problem, like a real issue, and I'm not sure how I'm going to respond. And I can't, I'm not, I can't be certain I'm going to temper my response if you say something crazy. Um, I do think too, part of what makes me toxic on a completely separate note is I do have like abandonment issues, which I don't think people know because people just assume I'm really heartless, which is not true at all. It's really not. I just don't really show my emotions that well. And typically, if you don't know me that well, then you've never really seen me cry. You've never really seen me show a lot of emotions. If you, if you know me very well or you know me decently well, I will have a lot more emotions and you'll find out how untrue this is. But a lot of people don't. 
they and you know my abandonment issues do come from the fact that I've had so many really shitty people in my life who are who were just terrible. They were just at the end of the day, I always felt like I brought out the worst in people, you know, and I always felt like it was my fault that they treated me the way that they did. And so I think that because of this, I always blame myself because I'm like, you're such a bad person. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to be around you. Like, I truly did feel like I was a horrible human being for how people treated me. And, and now when I, I guess when I think back about it, it's not that I was a bad person, but I do think that my response to things wasn't very good. If I'm being honest, like, I don't think my response to the way I handle, you know, being treated wrongly or treated unfairly was very good or very charitable. In all honesty, I do believe that was part of the problem. But also, I think that I was putting responsibility on myself that wasn't owed to me. Like, no one has the right to treat you like crap. No one has the right to make you feel like you're less of a human being than them and talk crap about you and make your life miserable just because they can And people admitted that they did that to me. And so, you know, I think that part of my toxic trait, too, is sometimes taking on things that are not really, like, my burden to bear and then trying to be a martyr about it. I don't know if that makes any sense to y'all, but there have been situations where I definitely did take on something or kind of take on responsibility and then make myself a martyr and make myself feel like, oh, you know, people are so wrong to me. When in actuality, I'm taking on stuff I didn't have to take on. It's not my fault that people treated, treated me like crap for most of my life. But the problem is never that. The problem is like how you respond to it. You know what I'm saying? That's what you're responsible for. You're responsible for your emotions and your response and your actions, not what they did to you. Uh, I think to a toxic trait of mine, if I were to be honest too, is that like, Besides being hyper-emotional, sometimes I have, like, bouts of irrationality. Like, it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen from the time from time to time where I'm just not, I'm very emotional and I'm not thinking rationally what makes sense in the moment. And so it's very easy for me to, like, play the victim and be, like, super irrational about something. The reason why it doesn't happen that often anymore is because I, it's very hard for someone to kind of bring that out of me, but... There have been cases, especially in the past, where I have absolutely, you know, played the victim, you know? And even in situations where I was in the wrong, I played the victim. And I was like, well, you know, I would come up with reasons as to why I was right, even though deep down I knew I wasn't. And deep down, like, I knew that I was in the wrong, you know? So, yeah, I think that's probably like an ego-driven thing. Like, you can't let your ego... Your ego won't let you admit that you were actually wrong about something and that you need to apologize about something. Because that's true, too. That's true, too. Um, I think another toxic trait, and I think this will be the last one, is that I was kind of jealous of people. And this is a big one because I don't think it's one I talk about a lot. Um, Okay. The best way I can describe it is because of, like, my family background and some things that happened my family kind of took a huge turn. Like our, the money that we were allowed, we could live on and the money that my parents made drastically decreased, which means our standard of living and our lifestyle decreased by a lot over the years. And so, you know, I could remember when, when I was younger, I moved into this really nice big suburban house and I, you know, I just, I lived a great suburban lifestyle. And then within three years, it was all snatched from me And we lived from apartment to apartment. We apartment bounced because we kept getting evicted or things kept happening before finally my mom was able to buy a house in her name. And that's the the only reason why we had a stable house to live in for five to 10 years through middle school and high school. So, you know, I I think that like, because of that like emotional, not emotional instability. Well, I believe I am emotionally unstable, but the financial instability that definitely played a role in a lot of the things that happened in my life. And so by the time I got to college, I would say, I definitely saw that my, I, I was I was a lot worse off than a lot of the people that I knew. A lot of my friends were very solidly middle class from solidly middle class or upper middle class backgrounds. They 
you know, had parents that could afford to get them a car and afford to help them with their bills and all these other things, you know? To me, it was a privilege to even have a car to get what I needed to get done, to go to the grocery store, to hang out with your friends. You know, like, it was just a privilege to do that. It was, it was. Like, there are plenty of opportunities that I could not capitalize on in, in college. You know, merit-based opportunities I couldn't get because even though I was eligible and I was accepted and people wanted to work with me, I could not, I couldn't afford it because it required me to have a car and travel a distance, if I'm being honest. Um, so yeah, I think that because I was in a, such a precarious financial position where my family couldn't help me and typically can't, even now my mom can't help me, um, it always made me feel like I was disadvantaged. And so I do remember being kind of jealous of some of my friends because they lived, in my eyes, a charmed lifestyle where their parents could afford to help them and they had a stable family life. You know, I was embarrassed of where I came from, honestly. I'm embarrassed, like, my family was so dysfunctional. And I don't, it's not something I glorify. You know, that trauma that I, you know, have lived through and kind of carry with me now, it does make me feel like I'm less than. Like, I remember when I dated a, uh, this boy in college, he was actually pretty well off. And nobody knew because he was, he was very humble about it, I suppose. But he was well off. And um, his family actually had assets and money. Like, he, they had, like, a whole estate in his name. He was the only heir. So he's, he got, like, a multimillion-dollar estate coming to him if, one of, if his mom passes away because it's in her name. And I think that, like, what's really interesting is that, how do I say this? I was so embarrassed of where my family came from. You know, I was embarrassed about the fact that, you know, my mom, my family doesn't have a home. They have a townhome, which is not the same. We went from they, we went from having at least one home, like one actual like property in my mom's name, to getting so behind on bills that you know my mom had to move into a townhome where she pays rent. You know, we went from having a family home to just paying rent on a place and barely making ends meet. And that's where my family is at now, barely making ends meet in 2021, still barely making ends meet. It just seems like this perpetual cycle. You know, I don't have the stability that they do. I don't have a, fa a childhood family home. I don't really have all the positive memories that they have. I just don't have that. You know? So it, I, I have been embarrassed in times past because of my background. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, there are plenty of times every single day where I'm like, I wish things were different. Like, I wish I had like a a typical family that wasn't so off, you know? I wish I had a dad that gave a shit about us and was still alive. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, there's just a lot of things that I wish were different. And so I think that because of, like, I was so ashamed of my family and where I came from, that that kind of fueled part of my jealousy because I wish I'd had the background that they had and I wish, you know, that I had gone to prom and I had a boyfriend and had the traditional experience, but that's just never been my life. It's just, it was just always hard for me. It was just always hard. So, you know, I think that that kind of embarrassment and the shame from coming from not too good place and not having that much money and constantly being broke, it did fuel my jealousy towards my friends. And I don't think it helped our relationship. It didn't break the relationship, but it didn't help, you know? Because, you know, it's sad when deep down you kind of resent the fact that someone's doing better than you and you wish that you could be like them, you know? So, yeah, these were just some of, like, my toxic traits. Um, I didn't list all of them because I'm a very flawed individual. But these are just some things that, I, you know, I, I can correctly identify. Um, if you see yourself in me, in my story, if what I'm saying makes sense to you, if you can understand me, that's nice. I appreciate that. But um, I think that part of letting go of some of this stuff is openly admitting that you do have a problem, you know? Because it took me a while to kind of see myself clearly and realize that I had such a hard time building relationships, partially because of mental illness, but also because, you know, I just didn't know how. And, you know, the only way to do this is by admitting when something is wrong and admitting that you need help and... You know, putting your ego aside to admit when you were you were the problem, not them. And there were plenty of times where I was the problem. 
there are plenty of times where, you know, there wasn't a situation where I was getting picked on or people were being mean to me and I just kind of wasn't being the best person. I'm just going to be honest. Like, that's just the truth. The only way that you're able to grow as a human being is if you can admit when you've made mistakes and you can admit when like you haven't been necessarily the most healthy person emotionally or mentally. Um, I think, you know, moving forward that one of the changes that I've made is at least trying to be radically honest and tell the truth because there's power in that. So, you know, that's just, that just means telling the full truth. It means being honest with yourself, but allowing yourself grace to be like, yeah, that was messed up. And here's the reason why I did it. And I accept the fact that I did that. And I accept the fact that it was wrong. But in this moment, I'm not going to judge myself for it because in that time I was doing the best that I could. And I truly believe that like, even when people are not necessarily being good to you or being kind to you, understand that sometimes they are doing their best because you don't know what people are experiencing at home or experiencing in their life or psychologically what they're going through. So, so you know, it is possible that they really are doing their best and this is the all that they have to offer. And it's okay to acknowledge that what they are offering is not enough for you and that you deserve more. More effort, more time, more compassion, more tenderness, more vulnerability. I mean, that's just the truth. It's okay to admit when you've outgrown someone or maybe what you need from a friend they can't provide. And I wish I had learned that before. I wish I had learned that it's okay to need more than someone can give you and just accept it for what it is. So anyway, um, I think that after years of therapy and years of just kind of having to stare at myself and look myself in the mirror that I've been able to kind of move forward from some of this and kind of give myself some peace in knowing that it wasn't my fault. Not all of it was. A lot of it wasn't, to be, if I'm being honest. But I think that the things I can take responsibility for is how I responded to situations. Because everyone doesn't respond to the situations the same way. So even if I, someone um, encountered the same things as me, they would have responded completely differently. And that's because of the choices that I made, the decisions that I made. And that's what I'm responsible for. So, you know, I try to have a healthy approach to it, you know, by not super judging myself and slamming myself and making myself feel bad for being human. But understanding that, you know, now that you know better, you have to do better and you have to apply what you learned because you can't say that you didn't know because you do know. You're responsible for applying the knowledge that you have. So. If you liked this episode, if you want more episodes like this, by all means, let me know. Um, reach out to me on Instagram. You can DM me and we can continue this conversation because I think it's an important conversation to have. So that being said, I hope you guys have a great day and I'll talk to you again on Thursday.